and welcome to How to Win the Lottery, Season 2, Episode 11, Sweet Days of Discipline by Flor Yegi. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm, uh... Uh, your boy shreds shreds back for the third episode in a row shreds wait i had i i wanted to i thought we could do a a side podcast called how to score some pottery <laughs> like like drug dealing but about pottery yeah yeah, yeah. Cool, no cool. like pot but like then you just pot-tery. say pottery yeah, yeah yeah how to score some pottery <laughs> how to win the lottery sub podcast how to score some pottery theme song Welcome to How to Score Some Pottery. I'm Joey Lewandowski. Shreds, how you doing? It's much easier to score some pottery now that it's legal in most places, right? Is pottery illegal anywhere? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, my friend Charlie McNulty makes pottery. Seth Rogen, of course, famously makes pottery now. And it sucks, but everyone pretends like it rules because he's like a celebrity doing something. Yeah. Like, oh, you do more than just weed. You do pot and pottery. So Yeah, right. He's basically his life is the pun that we just made. Now, Shreds, how how long have you been into pottery? I'm not into pottery at all. But I like I said, my my uh, old roommate and friend, Charlie McNulty, um, makes pottery. And he gave me some, some and he does some, like, uh, some stuff on the side. His old stuff used to look like the Graboids from Tremors. It doesn't feel a little bit like we're killing time because this episode is only going to be like 20 minutes long. If we have one tip for how to score some pottery, what would it be? Be friends with Charlie McNulty? That's right. Yeah, he'll give you some. See you next time on How to Score Some Pottery. No, wait, that's Dirty Dancing. That's a song yeah. from Dirty Dancing, not Ghost. I forgot how Unchained Melody goes, but I'm pretty sure it's Unchained Melody. We'll find out. So here we are, Shreds. Shreds, you've been you've been joining a lot. Are you a big reader or are you just around? Because <laughs> it feels like by, by, your, by your name and your pastimes, reading is not a big thing, but maybe I'm no, I Yeah, I, I rank my pastimes as such. Uh, Number one. Skateboarding. Of course. Yeah. Number two. Uh, punk rock music. Number three. Surfing. Number four. Skateboarding again. <laughs> Number five. Um wearing my hat backwards number six sunglasses <laughs> number seven uh the the uh um the rap music of ice cube number eight driving cars number nine uh, i i want to addendum eight to say that they're uh, el camino is or convertibles of course that's what i pictured yeah number nine reading there we go so it is one of your favorite things. It's just top ten. Yeah. What's number ten? Skateboarding again? No. Um, I'm really into Yankee Candle. Oh. Yeah. Is this an episode of How to Score Some Pottery? Don't don't don't, don't do it. Because <laughs> then, because the, uh, the the reason why we can't do that, legitimately, the reason why we can't do that as a bit is because that's already a bit. In the it is podcast. a bit. But you know, I I do like the name parallel structure. Yeah. Yeah. And the rhyme. Is this the second book we've read in translation after Colorless Sukuru? Shit, that's a good question. Because Never I Let Me Go, he's Brit. He writes yeah, in yeah. English. No, I, I haven't been. I haven't been tracking that, but it might be. Yeah. So I looked because I was also like, we read a book about translation, but no, that's just Drive Your Drive Your Plow with the Bones of the Dead, which is which feels like it's part of this, but it's not because I just read it. I think right before we started season one. Oh, it feels like it's part of this season. Yeah, that's no not... part of part of just the podcast in yeah, general. Yeah, no, yeah, we didn't. 
but that's about translators. And I think that book was translated. Uh huh. Sure. Right. From Polish, I think. Uh huh. So this, do you know anything about Floriegi or no? I know nothing about Floriegi. So she's still alive as far as I can tell. She is going to be 82 this year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was actually surprised to learn that this book is from 1989. I thought, yeah. it, I thought it was a much more contemporary novel. So she's a Swiss author uh-huh. who writes in Italian. Uh-huh. One of her books called Proliterca, maybe, uh-huh. was best book of the year by the Literary Supplement when it was published in the U.S., and this book, Sweet Taste of Discipline, won the Premio Baguta, 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 and the Premio Speciale Rapallo. Six of her books have been translated to English. This guy, Tim Parks, did this one and her next one, translated those two. From her wiki, this is a quote. I know that wiki, anybody can do it, but, quote, her first masterpiece was the novel, this novel, which is in Italian, I Biati Ani de Castigo. Yeah. Which directly translates into The Blessed Years of Punishment. I love it. But I spoke to patron, and patron's saint of the pod, Desiree, who speaks Italian. I was like, can you translate this? Because I know what Google says. Yeah. She speaks Italian, huh? She speaks Italian. She says, I don't know if Americans translated it directly as the blessed years of punishment, but like the joyful days in punishment or something like that. And I said, well, it's translated as sweet days of discipline. She's like, I think that's a good, tra- I think that's a good translation. Yeah. I mean, I, I love sweet days of discipline as a title. It's And it like has this weird hint at... um. Uh, sadomasochism yeah. that like uh, sort of floats through the book a little bit but is like never really like there's a lot of stuff in the book that is completely unsaid but like you get the vibes of it right I think that's part of it I think one of the adjectives on the Goodreads description is witchy and I was like oh witchy something's gonna happen <laughs> spoiler yeah. nothing happens no that's not true I, well it is like a little bit true a lot of people die off camera. Yeah. In, like, terrible ways. Sure. Right? But, like, um... Uh, and why, also, the school gets destroyed? Why don't you tell us what happens in this book? I don't know. From from soup to nuts. From from t- uh, t- t- testes to tip. Tip to taint? From hole to hole. So it's an all-girls boarding school in Sweden? I believe it's Sweden. It's through the eyes of an unnamed protagonist, I believe. Sure. And she keeps getting, she becomes obsessed and falls in love with, though it's not explicitly in love with. Not explicitly romantic love. She does does talk about love, Mm -hmm. um, but it's not, I I don't think it's ever, it's not specifically romantic love and it's certainly never consummated. Every time a new girl shows up to school, she becomes obsessed with them. Well, is it every time a new girl shows up? Because she doesn't, she's got Frederic, which is like the the, the main person. Michelin later. Okay, and that's it. She's, she's, well, the black girl. No, the black girl is, is, uh, which we're saying black girl because that's how she's, that's how she's described. This book is also because it's older. Pretty racist. Ah, yeah. By design or not by design? By design. I think, like, obviously, like, there's... So, okay. Let's let's talk about the the black girl right right now. She is the daughter of, like, an African king? Yeah, and certainly an African... Or a ruler of an African country. Um, And so she's she's brought to this, uh, this school in Sweden... What we learn over the course through through descriptions of things like limousines and shit like that um, is a completely like haven for very, very rich girls. Yes. Um, and the the headmistress, uh, Frau Hofstetter, is that her name? Something like that. Uh, Jeff Hofstetter. Um, 
Yeah, this woman also played quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> she, uh, she, she, uh, I would say fetishizes this. This black girl turns her into like a uh, a token, almost like a doll. Um, and like a lot of the characters in the book, when the black girl shows up, she's lively and she has a lot of vitality to her. As the headmistress sort of like touts her around, is always seen with her. Our our uh, protagonist, our narrator, notices like that the life is slowly being drained from her and that she becomes less and less lively and by the t- by the end of the book she's like sort of like a zombied husk of of what she once was yeah so i think you know i think there's something i, I think that the whatever racism the book has i think is there to show the the vampiric qualities of uh power on power right she's she, and and she like uses her as a doll a fetish device to to access like the power of the king because there are also descriptions where it's like black people do this and black people do this i'm just like ooh, right i i think like again it's it's through the voice of a 15 year old yeah 15 year old incredibly wealthy girl in the 50s yeah right that's another thing that like we need to we need to consider is that the book is written it came out in 1989 but the book is about the 50s yeah so that's yeah i think that's of of interest yeah um, so that's one one of like the four characters in the book we just talked about. Who are the other characters? Well, there's also, I'm just looking through my highlights right now. There's another bit of racism. Like the Orientals, we were supposed to know the art of folding our things. Yeah, okay. And I, it's just, it's hard. Orientals, or, or, I mean, Oriental is like, um, you know, obviously Edward Said's uh, book, seminal uh, book of theory, Orientalism, is, is not is not out by this point but orientalism is the idea that uh readers in the west sort of fetishize eastern eastern cultures while uh while removing their voices and and not giving them space within their own narratives to speak so they make them subalterns is the black girl ever given a name she's not right no she's not and i think she never speaks either the, but but I I, I don't think that's well, do, particularly does, weird because nobody speaks. Nobody speaks. Yeah, it's just the it's just the narrator. There's like a little bit of dialogue with um I can't remember her name the one that's not Frederick the Micheline. Micheline. Um, there's a little bit of dialogue with her and like most of like what she says is like creepy weird shit about her daddy. Yeah, who's like if you want him to flirt with you, he will flirt yeah, with you. Like oh my daddy, like we're gonna throw a big party, but you have to come and flirt with my daddy. And they do, and they do. Yeah. Uh, this is also notably, I think, the shortest book we've read. Yeah, I had it as 70 pages. You said it's 112 pages. Goodreads says the Kindle version is 112. The Kindle version itself doesn't have a page count, just has locations, which is I still don't know how that works exactly. And I, I don't know either, but you I will. read this in about an hour. I read half of this book at three in the morning. My dog was scratching at the back door because he had to poop. It was snowing out. I opened up my door and I sat on the steps and I read while my dog was walking around the backyard, like not pooping. And I was getting increasingly mad at him. But I, but I read fully half of the book while, while waiting for him to poop. I think it's difficult to get into. I think the – so Meg – I'm going to read Meg's email now because oh, Meg emailed okay. in lottery at cageclub.me because it's the shortest email she's – and it's almost specifically about the language, which is why I want to bring it up now. Yeah. Meg says – I think that this will be the shortest email I've ever sent to you. I did not vibe with this book at all. The language felt so stilted to me that I wonder if part of it was a translation thing that maybe I would have liked it if someone else wrote a translation for it. But then I looked at some Goodreads reviews and people were raving about the beautiful language of the book. So I don't know. 
not for me, and in spite of the size, I probably wouldn't have finished it if it weren't for the podcast. And that's the entirety of her email. For me, the the language was difficult because it didn't hmm. it, it it doesn't flow in a way. But that said, I think there are multiple passages, like short bits, that I think are really beautiful. I think I, I disagree with both of you. Um I mean I agree that there are parts that are beautiful, but I think that uh most of this novel is is prose style. I think that's where it makes its uh makes its grade. What do you mean by prose style? I should have written all this stuff down. But like there are lots of parts where um when she's moving between sentences, uh she'll repeat words in the next sentence. So a sentence will end with a certain bunch of words and then the next sentence will be a different sentence entirely and have a different message, but it will repeat some of the core words from the previous sentence. So it's this weird, like repetitive recursive style that like compels you to move from sentence to sentence in a way that like is not content related necessarily, but like the, the, the words is as communication, like they, they, um, function rhythmically the way that music would. They were the first of our teachers to die, but then our teachers are generally blessed with longevity. That's two sentences. So like our teachers are teachers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I have the same thought somewhat as Meg, not about the different translation, but I'm like, because I guess what I'm getting hung up on, like I was taught that sort of like there's prose and there's poetry, right? And like there's different things, but that's what you're saying. Prose is in a different form altogether. Or, well, like, I, I think, and maybe I'm just misremembering, but like in English classes, I was taught that prose is like not poetry. But this feels like sort of like a hybrid of the two, where it's like it's flowery in a way that's by design as opposed to it's style over substance in a way. I don't know exactly what yeah, I'm saying. So, so what you're talking about and, and what I'm talking about is a thing called prosody, which is like the, the music of words, the, the, the way that words sound rather than the, the meaning that they convey. I just think like when it worked for me, it worked for me, and I think just a yeah. lot of the time it didn't work for me. And yeah, just... so I, I understand that. But, I, but 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 I understand that in the same way that like for some pe- some people like folk music and some people like electronic music. You know, I wonder if rereading this. Not that I would. I also paid eight fifty for this book or whatever, which is you know not not a ton of money. But like you can get the PDF for free on the internet. Well, now I know. Okay, sorry. But I bought the Kindle. That's fine. Like, I, I, I'm just saying that financially I would have an incentive to go back and read it again. I wonder, because I think my, what I'm most interested in in most books is plot, is action, is what actually happens. Yeah. And there's a distinct lack of that here. And I feel like sometimes, like Endzone, when we talked about that book, not a lot happens in Endzone. Yeah, a lot of musicality to the pros in Endzone as well. But that works for me in a way, and I mm-hmm. don't know why. Maybe it's just because I'm able to connect to it or whatever. And I don't know if it's a translation. I don't know if, like, I think what Meg's saying is valid. I don't know if I had the same, like, if it was a different translation, maybe I would have liked it more. Because I think the translation works, and it feels, if people, like, people are loving it. The tra- It's winning awards, right? But. Yeah, it's also maybe, like, I, I, I think that there is, um a particularly kind of like European fart sniffing that this book engages in that like I can understand when people are like, Ooh, no, thank you. Um, whereas like I um, uh, enjoy the smell of those farts. Yeah. Cause so I sent you a screenshot that Meg added me as a friend of Goodreads. You and I are both on Goodreads. If you want to find us, I don't think you're going to be findable and I'm not going to say what your screen name is. Yeah, you please don't. But I'm findable on there if you want to find me, but 
Meg had me as a friend. Then I'm like, oh, let me just check out her profile. And I saw that she gave this book and the next book one star. Yeah. And I was just like, oh. And because they're both short and she, she read ahead. We talked about the last episode. She was ahead of us. But I said that to you. You're like, yeah, but I really liked it. And like, you're going to know why. And I don't know if I know why. Is it just because? Well, I think I think over the course of this, of of um, the books that we've read, I've, I've shown that I have a much, I think a much greater tolerance for the absence of, of conflict than 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 you guys do um and and, and not, not not even that i i have a tolerance for it but i have like, you, a, you de- like I have a deep love of the absence of conflict and the absence of conflict not being um not meaning the absence of of necessarily of things happening or of great change because i think i think there is that in this in in this book but um like I like a non-ending. I, I I don't like and I don't like things to be wrapped. Right, up. which I knew that about you, and I could articulate that. But I feel like what's what's, I guess what I'm trying to reconcile in my head is that that lack of conflict, the lack of plot, whatever, however you want to describe it, I love in movies. Like I love a hangout movie, like right? About yeah, yeah. Wants some or whatever. Yeah. But in a book, mm-hmm. I guess because I'm consuming it or thinking about it differently, I yeah. want more. I think I, I I think that makes sense. Um consuming different mediums, you have different expectations. But what I my my uh pushback on that would be on the word more. What do you mean? I don't I don't think having conflict equals more. I think sometimes it equal, equals less. Sure. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. I I also do think because you read more than I do. And I'm I'm reading more than I ever really have, but because you read more than I do, I don't know if this makes sense, but like each book, I think you need less out of each book. Well, I I think for certain there's like a a, a, a scaffolding of styles and um, uh, not not necessarily genres, but like you know each like from times and and countries and uh, like I have a, I have a greater varied um, sense of styles and and. Uh, authors and things and i think so so like i have a, a scaffolding to appreciate the you know a a a, a plotless book translated from italian yes. from the 80s yeah. right because like that's part of i've read i've read other stuff that's like that a bunch right and so it's like already you know within me too. which i think is why like i'm able to do the same thing with movies because i sure. just have such a deeper base of knowledge yeah and so when you um and i, I and and i think this goes to the point I actively seek that out because it's different. Also, yeah, it, like, like a thing about plotlessness and about uh, lack of conflict is not quite the right way to say it, but we'll, we'll say it like that for the sake of brevity, is that it frees you up to do anything. Yeah. Whereas like if you're relying on... And anything also in this case could include what people might say is nothing. Yeah, people, yeah, people might say that. I'm not saying that's a negative. I'm saying that as a positive. If, like you're able to do nothing yeah, if you want to do nothing. Yeah, but if you're if if you're locked into this like clockwork machinery of like, okay, so the first act has to end with something that reveals the beginning of the next act, etc. Like I think Secret History is a good example of like working within the machinations of a, of like a machine. Ugh, such terrible. Such well, a, but like yeah, machinations. Book, book of a one machine. ends with the murder of Funny. Yeah. So so like she's she's like. Uh, you know, she's moving along through the gears of that machine in like a really advanced, beautiful way. And like, I don't think that's lesser than than doing it like uh, Sweet Days of Discipline. But like at no point in Sweet Days of Discipline when I was like, I fucking definitely know what's going to happen next. 
right? Or I even had any expectations. And not having expectations opens up the world to a lot of other things, especially when in something like Sweet Days of Discipline, I'm not focused on what's happening. I'm focused on the language that she's using and the atmosphere that she's creating, which, like, throughout this entire book, she's using imagery, almost horror movie imagery, of of death and violence there's like uh you know she like describes people as looking like they've come from the morgue like so many things are mortuary and so many things are like uh about death specifically and and violent death and she's describing her other um her fellow students as being within this this state between life and death and like one of the things that makes frederick special is that she looks alive right she has like hair that uh um, as sharp as blades of grass or something like that. A girl arrived, a new one. She was 15. She had hair straight and shiny as blades and stern, staring, shadowy eyes. Her nose was aquiline. Yeah, her sure. teeth, when she laughed, and she didn't often laugh, were sharp. She had a fine, high forehead, the kind of forehead that makes thought tangible. A forehead past generations had endowed with talent, intelligence, and charm. She spoke to no one. Her looks were those of an idle, disdainful... Perhaps that was why I wanted to conquer her. She had no humanity. She even seemed repulsed by us all. Right. And the reason why she's repulsed by everyone is because everyone seems like they're dead. Yeah. Right? Throughout the entire book, she, is des she describes all these other students as, like, looking like they're fucking rotting. And Frederic doesn't have that. Frederic is someone who's... who's Well, she's not been worn down yet. Yeah, she hasn't been worn down. And so, like, I think if you put this book in context of all the other books that we've read, it's sort of interesting because I think that you see that wearing down of people within these closed communities over and over again. And this book is uh, putting putting voice to that in a way that's... Um, um, in a way to the 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 progress of nothing right because all of these people are living in a world where nothing essentially happens right we we're like you know clued into the 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 small petty dramas of their lives but like in prep like nothing really happens in prep either it's right. just it's just like there's a a uh um it's more familiar no it's 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 just that th there's uh dramatic ornamentation around the nothing that's happening Right. Like it's it's um, built in traditional ways so that then we we apply a lot of value to this game of assassin. But like in, in reality, like the, that game of assassin is not anything more that's happening than than whatever happens in in uh, the drive to the train station or whatever that's happening in this book. Yeah. Um, it's just like it seems like it does because it's given like this scaffolding that that um, traditional American literature has. You know, all of these people have the 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 death vibes of. Sweet Days of Discipline. It's just not articulated in the same way. I thought for a while, because, you know, we normally pair, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash lottery pod, where we tend to watch a thing that correlates with either like if it's a direct adaptation or something that's inspired by or thematically similar to or whatever. And before I had read this book, but after you had read this, we were talking last time off microphone about seance, right? Well, yeah, all all girls boarding school movies, and I felt for a while I didn't really get seance but I got for the first half like Suspiria vibes. Yeah, that makes sense. And too. then right. when like nothing happened, because uh -huh. Suspiria is like nothing kind of happens. There's like atmosphere, and then like oh no, things are weird here. Yeah, and I was like oh, and I kept kind of waiting, and I think I think this would benefit more. And again, I don't know that I would, but I think this would benefit in my eyes of reading again because knowing that nothing. And I, I'm, I know that I'm being pejorative when I say nothing happens, but like knowing that nothing happens and going into it with that, I think I would have l different expectations, not necessarily lower expectations, but yeah. like I would be able to appreciate different things because I felt like something familiar. And then when it just ended being like, 
Well, okay, so it is it is the Black Coat's daughter. It is Suspiria. It is I haven't seen Seance, but it is Seance. It's all of these things without the um the artificial hand of the author inserting genre into plot, right? So it is uh it is creating the exact circumstances of of those those movies with the same interpersonal relationships and dramas between the characters, but without the the um you know fucking ghosts or whatever right. like ghosts in those movies are metaphors for the shit that these girls are going through right and in this book there's no metaphor it's just like it's beca- just happening because there's no metaphor it feels like there's no like climax because we don't have something to push us over the edge there's no payoff yeah yeah but the payoff is the tension that we're left with right again this is like the glory of the non-ending for me is that we we don't see tension released so with that in mind were you thinking about do you think this could be adapted? Yeah, for sure. Were you thinking about casting? Because I didn't think about casting. I don't even know where to begin. I, you know, I, I, uh, it's it's hard because I like it's a very European movie. I think that there is like a world in which you could like do a Wes Anderson movie about this. It it's it's should be a movie like by like the dude who did um, Blue is the Warmest Color or something like that. Okay, like something that's just like very um, yeah, I don't know, s- slow and and focused on on character. Yeah. Do you have other thoughts about this book? Uh, do we want to talk any more about the um, about Michelin and the the uh, the daddy shit? Like, because that I think I think that kind of reflects like again, there's the the idea of romance and of sadomasochism is brought up throughout the text, but never consummated or gone through with. But there is this like background of of uh, sexuality that doesn't again the tension is never released; it just exists there, which is how I think a lot. Like this is how I think boarding school functions i think a lot of the time what are the girls thinking of at least half are nostalgic for death and for a temple and for all those clothes okay yeah nostalgic for death is such a fucked up thing to think of yeah i think what we talked about is that like joy over pain is malicious there's poison in it it's a vendetta it is not so angelic as pain yeah or the titular line i knew frederick wouldn't write but i persevered in the pleasure of taking my sadness to the limit the way one does with some practical joke the pleasure of disappointment. It wasn't new to me. I'd been relishing it ever since I was eight years old, a boarder in my first religious school. And perhaps they were the best years, I thought, those years of discipline. There was a kind of elation, faint but constant through all those days of discipline, the sweet days of discipline. Yeah, because um, in in spite of what, we, what we've said here, like the a lot of the joy in life comes from the conflict and the, the like having boundaries put on you. And, and like she is seeing th- those glory days because they're lacked freedom. You know what also might be a good pairing with this? I don't know if you saw it, but St. Maud. No, you watch St. Maud? Matt surprisingly loved it. I still don't know how, like, why he found he's, that. He's a, he's a hard, uh, he's, he's, it's hard to figure out what Matt's going to like. I love that he loved it, but, like, it's, again, I think it's the, like, the conscious decision to suffer. Yeah, right, which is very um, religious. Because yeah, it's because I don't I don't think that this narrator, this protagonist, chooses she doesn't choose to go to the school. Like her mother sends her there, and she's like, "This is what you're going to learn. This is the language you're going to speak. This is the blah 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 blah." But she seems to maybe it's as a result, but well, she finds the things she finds pleasure in the pain or in the monotony or in the like crushingness of and, it all. And Frederick chooses to return to this because as we like at the at the very end of the text when she meets up with Frederick and Frederick brings her back to her house, it's like. 
a fucking like concrete room with like a single candle in the middle and there's like no heat and it's just like this horrific thing especially for this rich girl to decide that she wants to live in such spartan circumstances we don't really know if she's there on purpose or if she or if some like terrible thing has befallen her that's driven her to live in these circumstances but like you can almost sense that she's uh choosing to return to those days of discipline um in in uh deciding to live in poverty that's some richard papen warehouse shit yeah are we uh do you want to call matt it's midday on a Saturday. Don't know if he's going to be around. It's a great cover, I think. Yeah. Do you think he answers? I don't know. But we ha- he hasn't been on in a while, so... No love from the Honorable Judge Matterly. Alas, next time. Next time. So our next book is College Novel by Blake Middleton. We're, we're nearing the end of this season, but we've also pushed ahead because we got a couple short ones, but also we've got the longest book since Duck's Newberry Port yeah. in a couple books. It's The Instructions by Adam Levin. That book has such a fucking V8 engine in it that like you're not going to think of it as as a novel that's like 1100 pages well, long my my what i'm trying to parse out in my mind right now is i have because i bought with you in, in the montclair bookstore the physical copy i don't know if i want to read the physical copy of that like i think i might just want to buy it on kindle also because there's a real danger with any book of that size reading the physical copy the spine. snapping the spine yeah especially if you have a hardcover and like the Kindle version is like seven through 18, 18 bucks, which is expensive for a Kindle version. Yeah. Because like new Kindle books are like fifteen bucks. So uh-huh. like above that, and like I've been tracking the price since you put the season together months ago, hasn't budged. I mean, because I don't I don't think they would. Like they're they're not they're not trying to like get that on the bestseller list, right? Like it's just it's if you want to buy it, it's there. Yeah. Also, it's a McSweeney's book, um, so it's it's an independent press. So I think they have less. Uh, budgetary room to be like a dollar 99 sale yeah. go but i do think i'm probably gonna buy the kindle version but i, I like having the physical one because it's a big ass it's, it's beautiful a, it's a nice book it's beautiful um but we have four books left this this semester using your parlance college novel by blake middleton real life by brandon taylor have you read that one or no no okay i know him from i i, I he doesn't follow me on twitter but i know him mostly from twitter then the instructions, which we talked about, and then the idiot by Elif Bachuman, which again I will say once again because I say it every time I can. My favorite Twitter handle, Banana Karenina. And and also uh, that book has a sequel coming out this year. Yeah. So we might just like add that to the very end of of the podcast. Like there's a possibility that we like our sixteenth book. If you can figure out when that comes out, either or comes out May twenty fourth. The idiot episode comes out May nineteenth. It almost couldn't be more perfect. That's the, we, okay. We have to do that then, right? Yeah, we have to add that as a, especially because the episode after the idiot would be the announcing of the next season. It's perfect. It, it's going to work out okay. really well. Beautiful. That's that's wonderful. back to back. So we'll, we'll, we'll 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 do that, and hopefully, um, I haven't read that book yet, so I hope that we like it. Because if it's garbage, I think I think we'll like it though. Banana Karenina has a lot of followers on Twitter, so yeah, she's I I I think she's probably great. So um, I want to just say before we leave that um, today's crime is a, is, is a uh, big heist. Like get a, get yourself a crew, go down to a casino and uh, 
take it down with each of your individual specialities. And while you're at it, just no, keep reading. You, you, the, here's the thing. You're breaking code right now. I know. I also expected today's crime to be when the moon falls. Oh, <laughs>